Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley and it's so good to be back with you. Lots to unpack in this episode. The Israel-Gaza war continues unabated, but now Israeli rules of engagement are starting to be questioned by that country's allies. There are also fears about a larger conflict in the Middle East after Islamic State takes credit for a deadly bombing in Iran. The president of Harvard resigns in the wake of twin scandals. Is she a victim of culture wars or is she simply a sloppy scholar? Donald Trump wants the Supreme Court to decide whether he should be on the ballot in Colorado. Big implications there. And what does the document dump on the friends of Jeffrey Epstein mean to those exposed? Let's begin. The Israel-Gaza war goes on with no end in sight. Back when the conflict started, I said the Hamas attack on October 7th was an act of barbarism. I also said at the time, and that time would tell, whether the Israeli response would also be barbaric. If it's true that the Israeli government has dropped enough bomb tonnage to surpass Hiroshima and Nagasaki combined, some would argue they've already crossed that line into barbarism. Through it all, the propaganda war continues. The IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, reports they've made slow but steady progress in their stated aim of crushing Hamas. They killed a senior Hamas leader in Beirut, prompting warnings of a response and punishment from Hezbollah. That would mean a possible expansion of the war, with Hezbollah launching rocket attacks already into northern Israel. Thankfully, Reports say Hezbollah has thus far not begun a full-scale retaliation, but keep in mind that could in fact change and force the Israelis to fight a two-front war, something I don't think they necessarily want to do. On the other side of the equation, of course, is the plight of everyday Gazans, many of whom are in refugee camps that are being bombed by the IDF. The reports of civilians, women, and children being devastated by Israeli airstrikes is gut-wrenching. It also raises the question of how much is enough. Israel's relentless scorched-earth policy isn't winning too many friends, even among traditional allies. And the propaganda war has almost become comical. Various pundits on both sides of the divide go back hundreds if not thousands of years to make their respective cases. Meanwhile, people are dying, and as others have said, every Palestinian life lost creates potential for more recruits for Hamas. The words genocide and the right to defend themselves are burned into our consciousness, and not necessarily in a good way. What would actually lead to the ceasefire so many people say that they want? I'll tell you one thing it will not lead to, or will not lead to a ceasefire, is the virtually endless back and forth among pundits, among scholars, Palestinian scholars, Egyptian scholars, obviously Israeli scholars and Israeli government officials about who's right in this battle. And when I say they go back hundreds, if not thousands of years, it ends up being a fight between Judaism and Islam. People quote the Quran, and by the way, Christianity is part of that three-sided triangle as well. What 
gets accomplished? Does any of this end up bringing that region closer to peace? I would argue not. And what of the published report that said Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu looked the other way while the government of Qatar sent money to Hamas? This is not me saying this. Multiple media sources have reported on it. If true, it spotlights the hypocrisy and nihilism, not of the Israeli people, but of the people who govern them. You can make a good case for the fact that the October 7th massacre, and in fact the very ability of Hamas to lob rockets into Israel, was in fact sanctioned by Israel. You have to ask yourself, why would Netanyahu countenance this particular arrangement? And there seems to be ample documentation that indicates that he did. The answer, simply, is politics. The Israeli Prime Minister has no interest in a two-state solution that would eventually lead to a lasting peace between Israelis and Palestinians. Because, you see, Hamas also has no interest in a two-state solution. So maybe they're united enemies, but still united in the idea neither side wants to see a two-state solution, which most people believe is the key to a lasting peace. We should be mindful of the fact that many years from now, history will look back at this time with a critical eye. Historians will ask why so many innocent lives were lost on both sides including, by the way, Israeli young people who represented the future of that nation, who were killed at that music concert. People kind of, sort of, forgotten about that. And in service of what? Religion? Politics? Righteousness? Or, sadly, none of the above. While this goes on, Muslims are fighting and killing each other. I refer to the recent deadly bombing inside Iran, which Islamic State has taken responsibility for. Notice I didn't say credit. I said it earlier. I shouldn't have. It's not something you take credit for. Taking lives is not something you credit anybody for. The wanton killing of 84 people should not be a credit to anyone. The group, that's Islamic State, says... Two men detonated bombs on their bodies, a high price to pay for religion. This, you see, is a result of a long-running beef between Sunni and Shiite followers of Islam. As far as I can tell, and I am no expert, I'm not a pundit, I'm not any of those things, but as far as I can tell, Sunni-led Islamic State thinks it's their mission to kill apostate Muslims, which include, by the way, Shiites. And of course, Iran is a Shiite nation, and Islamic State has carried out bombings there before, in the near term and the far term. Now, I need to step back from this for a minute. Lately, and this is the reason why, lately I have been inundated by social media posts by Islamic clerics, scholars, pundits, as I mentioned earlier, and the like, debating Jewish and Christian clerics, scholars, and pundits, arguing which religion has the high ground? Maybe none? I don't know. Maybe all. But almost all of them have a reason to excuse or countenance their faith's excesses. Yet I haven't heard a coherent explanation as to why Muslims are killing other Muslims. Now, I'm not naive. 
I know Christians have killed Christians since the origin of the faith. Yet the notion of some sort of piety among co-religionists sounds to me a lot like honor among thieves, at least when they're killing each other in the name of their vision of a holy book. I now see with greater clarity why some people blame religion for much of the world's ills. That, of course, is extremely simplistic, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but you catch my drift. What made many in the West nervous at first was Iran's claim that Israel was responsible for that bombing, which, of course, turned out to be false. Regardless, the, this Muslim versus Muslim battle could explode into a regional conflict that might end up as bad as Israel-Hamas. Up next, was the president of Harvard a victim of the nation's raging culture wars, or did she bring her troubles on herself? This is The Intersection. Listen, discover, think. It's Intelligent News Analysis with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Dr. Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, is now the former president of Harvard. Is it, as the New York Times says, a matter of using the word context when asked about anti-Semitism at her school? She was asked by a representative, that is, Elise Stefanik, Republican of New York and Harvard graduate, whether, quote, calling for the genocide of Jews, end quote, violated Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment. Dr. Gay replied that it might, depending on the context. Now, I got to be honest here, you know, and I, I'm certainly no scholar, but how whack is that? Context? The president of Harvard should know better than that. Did she not realize she was testifying before a congressional committee? Why did she think she was there? I would have answered, of course, the genocide of any people violates not only Harvard's rules, but the rules of human decency. Of course, that's just me. She should have known the long knives of those who oppose her very appointment as president of the school were out, out, actually out with long knives to get her and should have tailored her remarks accordingly. My God, doesn't her office have a communications department? Well, if they did, or let's put it this way, they probably did, but it doesn't matter now because she's not running the school anymore. Elise Stefanik set a trap, and Dr. Claudine Gay walked right into it. Now, this is all separate and apart from the allegations of plagiarism that have also been leveled against her. Conservative media have been piling on with new sets of allegations, it seems, every other day. Now, I have to make you understand, at least from my perspective, that plagiarism by anyone must be taken very, very seriously. Dr. Gay has strenuously defended her work. She's not accused of stealing big ideas or concepts. Instead, she's accused of copying language used in the work of other scholars. It's sad that she's become a symbol of all the right wing finds objectionable about higher education, and especially a black woman leading an Ivy League institution of higher education. Equally sad was the word salad Harvard released in the wake of Dr. Gay's resignation. 
This was clearly a case of everyone needing to do better so that colleges and universities can get on with educating young people. That is kind of sort of their job, isn't it? And finally, the Epstein Papers. No smoking guns, but plenty of bad optics. And then there's Donald Trump. This is The Intersection. You're listening to Mark Riley. It's the only podcast where the world makes sense. Welcome back to The Intersection. One flash of light, but no smoking pistol. That's how the late David Bowie put it in his song, Ashes to Ashes. It also described the release of a tranche of documents related to the late financier and pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. After all, the revelation that two former presidents and a member of Britain's royal family hung out with this guy is already well known. Ironically, the fallout may hurt Prince Andrew here in the UK worse than anyone else. After all, He already paid out a multi-million dollar settlement to one of his accusers. He's also trying to get back in the good graces of the royal family. Great optics for that, huh? Your Majesty, Your Highness, however you're described. It should be noted that none of the people mentioned in the documents, including Prince Andrew, and by the way, some of them are still to come, none of them have been accused of any crimes. Still, the optics, and I emphasize, The optics are horrible. They paint a picture of a man who had wealth and sought power through association with the powerful and the company of young women. These latest papers reveal he got away with both for a time until the walls collapsed around him and he took his own life. Regardless, Jeffrey Epstein remains an object of morbid fascination going on five years after his suicide which, by the way, for those of you who don't remember, was in August of 2019. This, by the way, is nothing new. Americans have always loved to watch rich people drive their cars off a cliff. Trust me, the Epstein saga is not quite over yet. Of course, there are lawsuits going on, so it won't be settled until those lawsuits are either settled, won, or lost. And finally, to Donald Trump. He's had mixed results with staying on the ballot in all 50 American states. California and Michigan have ruled that he can stay on the presidential ballot, while Maine and Colorado courts have ruled he presided over the January 6th, 2021 insurrection and therefore should be disqualified. Trump has done what's expected. He's asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the ruling of the Colorado Supreme Court. This is what they have to consider. This case turns on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, the 14th Amendment, for those of you who forget, was adopted after the Civil War, and it bars those who have taken an oath, quote, to support the Constitution of the United States, end quote, from holding office if they then, quote, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Now, you might be able to make a case if you look at that literal language and say, you know what, if he didn't actually start all this, he certainly gave aid and comfort to the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Now, Trump, for his part, has always denied any responsibility for those events. 
I have to say, if I were a gambling man, and I'm not, but if I were, I'd put my money on Trump winning this one. After all, he was the one who stacked the high court with conservatives. If he does win, it will be a sad day for American justice. But you see, there is a larger issue here. This is a man who has dominated a major American political party to the point that no other candidate for president has come within double digits of him in polling. Now, I have to say, polling is at best an imprecise science, and things could change on a dime. But the fact of the matter is, Donald Trump, no matter what his sins, and keep in mind he's been indicted multiple times on criminal sins, but Donald Trump seems to have the ability, much like John Gotti did for a long, long time, of having accusations bounced off him with very little consequence. But the fact of the matter is, and I, again, it gives me no particular pleasure to say, I think Donald Trump is going to end up on the ballot in all 50 American states, because I think that's what the Supreme Court is going to rule. That's just my prediction. I've been wrong before. But this man has perpetrated, in my judgment, this is just my opinion, the greatest fraud in American political history. And he's talking about trying to turn the United States into a Hungarian slash Turkish style autocracy if he does get the presidency back. Now, who in the world, who on God's green earth would want that? Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.